Welcome to a bonus Pelicanus episode where we highlight the inaugural recipient of our Carrie Wilson Memorial Scholarship. We talk to Hope Nye, a school teacher from Wisconsin and grad student with Project Dragonfly. Now, Hope is an everyday conservation hero that the world needs. Let's get straight to our conversation with her so you can hear all about the work that she's done and is doing in her community. All right. Well, welcome, Hope. Uh, Thank you for talking with us. And well, I guess congratulations uh, for winning our first scholarship that we were able to put out. Um, You know, Carrie Wilson was someone who was really important to me and a lot of people on our on our board and just so many people throughout, you know, all over San Diego that are now all over the world. And, you know, we Pelicanus wouldn't have become a thing without her. And we're so happy to be able to do this. And, uh, you know, I, I know she'd be very happy and proud um, of us and of you and just so happy to be able to do this and the family's on board and it's, it's such a great thing. So thank you so much. And Hope, <laughs> do you mind introducing yourself and just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll start to get into your, your uh, school and your projects? Sure. Yeah. Um, my name is Hope Nye, uh, and I'm not related to Bill. Get that a lot less so now uh, than, than a decade ago. But um, I don't know. Maybe there was some like inspiration in there somewhere. Uh, and my day job is a special education teacher. I've been teaching for over a decade now. I started in 2009. Um, and I'm currently based out of Madison, Wisconsin. Um, I just moved here from Chicago and I've been sort of all over um, the country in Massachusetts and California, Washington state. I lived in Canada for five years, the UK for a year. So I've just definitely traveled around, um, seen a lot of things, which has been really great. Um, yeah, and I'm also in a in the Project Dragonfly graduate program for um, biological sciences. I've got my master's in special education already, so I'm trying to take all of my disparate interests and uh, bring them together somehow. Yeah, so you are, you already mentioned that you're in the Project Dragonfly program, um, and I, if, if I remember right, you're in the GFP program. That's right. Yeah. I just uh, spent part of my summer actually in Belize. Um, and I know that you that uh, you work with a site there, uh, which was absolutely fantastic, not just because it was the first place I got to travel after COVID, um, or I guess since since COVID started. But um, yeah, it was just really incredible. And I've got another, another year or so left. So I'll be somewhere else uh, next summer. And I'm really looking forward to it. Could you explain the the, the- Global field, is it called the global field program? I did the other program, the AIP. So do you mind explaining a little bit and kind of where you've been and the projects you've been a part of? Yeah, so the GFP um, is different from AIP, the Advanced Inquiry Program, because the AIP program focuses on partnerships with um, usually zoos in areas with San Diego Zoo, the, um, I think the Missouri Botanical garden and zoo is one of them um brookfield they've got a bunch of different zoos that they've partnered with um, around the country and i believe with that one you go on um weekends throughout the year and uh work with people who are on site and learn a bit about what they do behind the scenes and kind of get involved um and the global field program is I mean, it's pretty much the same. You're still taking the majority of the same coursework. Um, The main difference is that in the summer, you go somewhere in the world um, and usually like stay with 
people who are there for a week and a half or so learn what they're doing, participate in field work. Um, so for last summer, I went to Belize and uh, stayed with uh, some people in the middle of the country um, with an indigenous tribe that lives there. And we learned about how they live, um, what it's like to hunt with bows and arrows, but also have cell phones, which was challenging for my Western brain, but really cool to be a part of. Um, I learned how to process cassava uh, and was very proud of making some cassava bread and like threw it up on a roof, which is, thing, is a thing that they, they do. Um, and they have sites all over the world in like Australia and Costa Rica, Galapagos. Um, I'm hoping to go to Kenya next year. Um, and each area has a different focus. So uh, this summer I was working with an indigenous community and thinking about indigenous relationship to nature and traditional ecological knowledge. Um, other sites focus on different areas um, and everybody can kind of pick their own and try to um, match their research interests with the opportunities that are out there and build connections and networks in um, global communities. So you're a teacher and specifically a special ed teacher. And I, I think I want to know, because in your um, application, your essay, essay is the word I'm looking, looking for. Um, you got you, it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you kind of, uh, you talked about how your, your role as a teacher um, in Chicago and all the places you've mentioned you've been. Mm -hmm. um, and the aspect of the social justice aspects of it, the conservation aspects and being a special ed teacher. And this is kind of a big question, but how do those all come together in your mind? Like what, what inspired you to kind of like, right, let me bring these together and like work on projects to, mm -hmm. to uh, you know, help inspire change in these people and these organizations and these communities or whatever you want to call it. That is a big question. Um, so I'm going to, try to answer it in like maybe a roundabout way. <laughs> um, I, I sort of fell into teaching special education. Originally, I was going to be an English teacher. Um, and then I ended up teaching literacy to special education students. Loved it because um, there are a lot of restrictions with the way that the American education system runs their curriculum and special education kind of uh, allows teachers to meet students where they're at um, through like a process that involves a lot of transparency. So um, I ended up working with special education students and uh, the American education system has another problem where students of color are disproportionately represented in special education uh, due to systematic racism. Um, and students of trauma are also um, like disproportionately represented. So uh, very accidentally, I ended up working with um, students with disabilities and students of color, students with trauma, um, students in like extreme circumstances, uh, which I absolutely love. Like, I'm so glad that I ended up here and those intersections are like really undeniable. Um, and then on the other side of the coin, I've just always been really interested in nature. Um, I'm an animal person, love animals, learning plants. There are a lot of them. Um, but I uh, just sort of wanted to learn more. And I think that I think that a lot of people equate education with career growth. And like, there's definitely a correlation there, but I don't necessarily think that getting an education means it has to serve your career. I just sort of 
love the environment and want to learn more about how I can help and like what I can do and understand the world better. So I ended up um, enrolling in this program for that reason. And it just seemed like the perfect opportunity to think about how the environment and how my, the communities that I work with interact. Um, I mean, I, I might be going a bit ahead of our conversation, but I think that there's a lot of research that shows that people of color um, and people with like lower socioeconomic means, which are also intersected, um, are less likely to be out in nature, are less likely to volunteer in conservation programs, they're less likely to be enrolled in like environmental education programs. And I'm really curious about why. Um, there are definite like theories and like some research to back those up. Um, but I'm working with these students and I, I mean, I just think that we all should be doing our part to help the environment and to appreciate nature that's out there. Um, and I kind of want to understand those divergent values a bit more um, and, and see what I can do to help. One of the ideas of what we're doing is and we talked to these big, big names and we're so happy to be able to do it, but one of the ideas is that conservation can be done by anybody. And, you know, uh, you're a perfect example. Uh, you know, not, yes, you're in a master's for biology, but, you know, you're a, a special ed teacher. And the idea that you can incorporate conservation into your, your curriculum and get your students and everyone involved is, that's the whole point. Like we, the, the fact that, like, like you, even, you mentioned Bill Nye, you know, he's out there, he's trying to inspire people to, to, to want to learn. And the idea is so everyone understands these processes, not just for the sake of understanding, so they can like feel connected with it and want to help with what we're calling just conservation, like whatever that term means, it's just you know, saving the planet, whatever you want to call it. And I, I like what you said there, where, you, you know, you, you said that you're just trying to you're trying to figure out how to make that. So can you, do you have specific pro, uh, projects that you've been um, creating in your, your curriculum, I guess, or it, either in your curriculum that you're teaching with your kids or the, in your master's program that you've been learning, you know, cause you're kind of stuck in the middle of the, the food chain there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I just want to echo that like anybody can participate in conservationism in, in some way. And I think that's why I like the Project Dragonfly program so much because you have people working in financial worlds who are trying to figure out how they can marry their, their career with their passion and people who are graphic designers who have like a very specialized skill set that can be applied, you know, in this world. And we sort of need everybody, not just biologists, um, to be interested and invested and, you know, maybe not enrolled in a master's program, but you know, aware of and, and willing to um, participate where they can. Um, but yeah, I think uh, in terms of like studies right now, I'm looking at local environmental education programs that are offered in schools and looking at rates of enrollment of students of color to see um, like how equitable those are um, on a national scale, those are available. But I think that people tend to have an interest in looking in their immediate community where we can kind of make visible change. It's really difficult to change national policy <laughs> uh, unless you're, you know, one of a select few people, but um, kind of grassroots making that, that local change can have like a major impact. Um, and then in the past, I uh, had the, the luxury of being able to teach outside of curriculum for special education. So like working on foundational skills of reading or writing or math or whatever. And um, 
you know, I'll, I'll build off of students' interests and students are just really interested in like the world and animals and science. And they want to learn about those things. They have so many questions. Um, they're like naturally curious. So I have the, the flexibility to draw on those interests and connect it with, you know, the learning standards that they, they need to be successful in the world and that the school is, you know, offering to teach them, but also respond to those natural curiosities. So if we're practicing letters, then like, great, let's go outside and, you know, look at things, say what they are and try to find out those letter sounds and um, make that connection to nature more apparent. Um, in like a more formalized way, I've done, you know, nature clubs um, and like, you know, after school programs, that sort of thing. Um, that definitely have their place as well, but that takes more of an intentional enrollment. Um, so you get like a more of a specialized student, amount of students who are already committed to being outside and you know already really, really enjoying it, which is super valuable and only part of the picture. Yeah, I liked what you said about, you know, you don't have to be a biologist to be interested in conservation. You know, everyone can do it. And I feel like that's that's been a, a real mistake, I guess, or a downfall of the traditional conservation field where it's very top down, very white male looking down is like, here's what I'm learning. Here's what you should know. And, you know, don't question it, even though that's the, that's the antithesis of what science is, you know, which is and also, so, it's hard to cut you off. It's also incredible yeah. because in the seventies, like the black Panthers really pioneered part of the environmental justice movement and like created a lot of the, the language that we use today. So the fact that we're idolizing people like John Muir and like Aldo Leopold, who are like incredible people, like, don't get me wrong. I'm not, you know, I'm not ragging on them, but um, I mean, there are a lot of other really incredible people out there who deserve that attention as well. And I think that on like following the Black Lives Matter movement of 2020, you know, I, as a white person also have a responsibility to elevate other people's voices and make sure that I'm serving communities that have traditionally been underserved in order to be equitable and to be morally like responsible. It's in my position. I know it's a political statement. <laughs> and it's, it's, I want, it's awesome that you're, you're, you know, you, you may or may not feel this way, but you're on the front lines of it, you know, because yes, there's researchers and yes, there's people that are making, you know, big level decisions, but you're the one doing the work every day, you know, and that's, what's inspiring to us is that there's so many people, you know, you included that are literally dedicating your lives to all these, this, whatever you want to call it. So basically it's, I feel like it's this big movement where it's social justice, environmental justice, everything wrapped up into this one thing. And, and yes, you can tweet about something, but if you're, if you're not living it, then it, it's just performative, you know? Yeah. I was, I was talking with um, my, like a neighborhood group that I'm a part of, or that I'm becoming a part of um, th that is supporting our a local park. That's across the street. It's a big old park. It has like a bald Eagle nest, which is just incredible to like live 10 minutes away from a bald Eagle nest. You can go and see like a, you know, a juvenile bald Eagle grow up. Um, and there have been, I guess, several research studies done on dredging this lake. And the research has shown that this lake needs to be dredged for a variety of reasons, including health reasons. And the city is dragging their feet. And so you have these people who are willing to do the research and show that this is necessary. You have the city that is 
performatively saying we will eventually do this in a budget that keeps getting pushed back. And then you have the people who are actually on the floor advocating for this to happen, going out and cleaning it every day. And those are the people that are actually making the difference and not getting any of the credit for it, which is, you know, a, a real disappointment. We, I talk about this a lot with our group or, or whoever, but it's because it's, it's not really about the credit. It's not like, hey, highlight me, like tell, you know, I, I want credit too. It's not about the credit. It's just, we want we want it to get, get done right and include the communities that are going to utilize these projects or these areas or, you know, you know, drop in whatever program here. And it, it, it tends to revert back to that old hierarchical system that we we're talking about. And, you know, I, I feel like I, I'm seeing a lot of progress. Um, I, I obviously I have, we have a, a podcast, multiple podcasts all about optimism and, and possibilism. <laughs> and so I, I, I tend to kind of lean that way, but I also try not to do it in like a toxic positive way. You know, it's like, yeah, there's, yes, there's lots of problems, but where we want to highlight and talk to the people who are really doing the work, whether in your classroom or in your academic uh, endeavors, um, <laughs> Yeah, what goals do you have um, to kind of further these these ideas, these um, uh, movements that you've been a part of, you've started? Um, and where, I guess, where do you want to go with it? That's a great question. Might be a Life difficult is... question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess I don't. I'm not 100 percent sure. I think that the way that society is functioning right now, with I mean, with technology being pushed even further in recent years due to the pandemic. Um, I mean, jobs are being created all the time that people aren't aware of. So it's really difficult to think about like something concrete because I don't think that what is existing in the world right now is going to be the same in five years. I think that people can really create their own paths um, now more than ever and probably more so in the future. Um, I do know that I, I want to continue working in education and it would be great to sort of marry the experience that I've had with, um, with students with disabilities and in marginalized communities with environmentalism. Um, unfortunately, there's not like a huge pay, uh, you know, there's, there's not a lot of income for those, those positions. Um, but I also don't think that those need to be that it needs to be a career. I think that, um, I think that people think that what they want to accomplish has to be done within the confines of their career. And that's not always the case. What you do after work, what you do on your weekends, how you live your life, um, outside of, of your work period is also really important. Um, and if, the information that I'm getting from this program, learning about conservationism, learning about how to work with communities, learning how to um, provide interpretation and, you know, be a, a positive influence and connect people with nature comes out in like going on a walk after work and being able to stop and talk with a family about something that they're seeing or being able to like run a formal program for students after school where they can like go and explore the woods that they've always been afraid of because they don't know what's inside of it and kind of like normalize that experience a little bit. All of those little moments can really add up. So I think that, I mean, your question is like, what do you want to do with it? And I think my answer is just, I mean, a thousand little moments that might make a difference, um, which I think really anyone can do. 
No, you're so right. And I think that's, that's that kind of attitude that so many organizations are out there trying to instill in people. And, you know, we talked to somebody recently uh, that'll be in a, a future episode um, that she says, and it's a little bit different context, but she was saying that, you know, when she looks to hire people for her organization, she hires for passion first and skills second, because she's like, most of our skills we can teach, you know, but if you have someone that has the passion that this is, this is what they are doing with their life, whether or not they get paid or to do it or not, you can teach the skills you need for that, that position or, you know, your department or whatever. And that's exactly what I'm, what I'm hearing from you is that, you know, even if you weren't in this master's program um, or, you know, whether or not you get, you know, huge paying job, like you're going to keep doing this. And I don't want to say it's a new thing, but in reality, it's a new thing because conservation is a new thing. Like we never needed to conserve anything until about 150 years ago. <laughs> and so especially over the last 50, 70 years, conservation has really become, you know, a forefront in our culture. Um, but especially the, the melding of the social science and the in, uh, social justice into it, uh, that's a relatively new thing. And, you know, the fact that we're hearing about it on regular news channels and social media and it's all out there now because the internet is so cool to me and again because you're on the front lines it's it's so i don't know inspiring to to hear your story uh, of doing it with these like, like you said marginalized communities and and again we were so inspired by your your uh, your writing and we're so happy to to um, boost you up in any way possible Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. What can people in your community um, or any community that you've been a part of, all, the, all 25 of them, <laughs> um, anywhere you've lived or anywhere on the world, what, what do you think people can do uh, to, to help out? Yeah, I, I think that if you're passionate about something, you just got to be vocal about it because you will find your people and your people will find you and opportunities will come up if people know that you're interested in them and you can go out and like seek out those opportunities and like it will happen um, because everybody's passionate about something. You just got to kind of go out and find it. And I, I want to say too, recently I um, completed a, like a master naturalist program and those are offered in every state. Um, and it's incredible because you get a group of like 20 or so people from disparate walks of life. Some people who are retired and some people who have been gardening for, you know, 30 years, some people who have been like working in, you know, in fields doing actual restoration work and then like students and like software programmers and really just all sorts of folk and um, come together for, you know, a couple of days or a couple of weeks, depending on, on what is being offered. And like, it's just so heartening to see average people that you normally wouldn't think twice about on a street really spending their time and like their energy and their passion caring about this kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, it's super exciting for, to, to be able to, you know, award you the scholarship. Uh, and like I said, at the beginning, Carrie Wilson, you know, she was a saint. <laughs> she would be so happy to meet you and so proud of, of what, you know, what you're doing, what we're doing. And, you know, we, we can't, you know, we can't thank you enough for, for doing what you're doing, but, uh, you know, we appreciate that there's people like you out there. Thank you. 
want to say thank you so much to Hope for taking the time to talk with us and for all the amazing work she's doing. The Carrie Wilson Memorial Scholarship will be open for applications for Project Dragonfly students again in the spring of 2022. Check the pelicans.org scholarship page for more information. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization that takes tax-deductible donations, so you will also find a link to the donate page on any page of our website if you'd like to contribute to the Carrie Wilson Memorial Program or to Pelicanus in general. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time.